So this morning, um, I'm going to speak on Romans 6, which you probably got. Um, and funny thing is, when I was sitting in the back, and we're loading up the slideshow, I don't know if uh, you noticed this, but union could be mistaken for onion. <laughs> Never seen it on the computer screen, but as I looked up, it big on there, I was like, that looks like onion. <laughs> so, anyway, that's the random fact for the morning. So, I want to speak on, on Romans 6, and this morning is going to be a little bit theological. So... If, uh, if you guys can survive 30 minutes of theology, um, then uh, well done. Good job. Pat yourselves on the back at the end of today. Um, but it's going to be a little bit of theolog- theology, and sometimes theology can be boring, and, and I get that. But what I'm hoping is that this morning gives us an opportunity to kind of rethink and reset like our framework of understanding some of the way that we see how the gospel works. And, uh, and to do that, we're going to look at this big kind of idea in the scriptures called union or union with Christ. Um, but I want to start with a question. And the question is this, is why should we care about holiness? Like, why should we care about how we live and act? Why should this be an important factor in our lives? And um, other than the fact that probably, you know, when we think about acting ethically or, um, you know, the way that we live, we can kind of think of it in terms of maybe ideas of success. I live a certain way because I want to be successful at my job or you know, I live a certain way because I'm pursuing my goals and my dreams and, uh, and so I shape my life around this way of living. Or, or sometimes we live a certain way because it's comfortable. Like it's the most comfortable way to live and so we make choices based around comfort and ease. Or sometimes we can think of ethics just in terms of human flourishing. Like why should we be ethical people? Because being ethical people is just in general better for society. Like it's just good not to lie because you know, ultimately if everyone lied, we would have no basis for society. You know, like how would you trust anything? How would you uh, be able to have relationship with each other if a world just existed filled with lying? So sometimes when we think of, of ethics, we can think of it, okay, I want to be an ethical person because it's just better for relationships and life and human flourishing in general. Um, but why should we care about holiness? So why should we care about uh, in, in the direct terms of Romans 6, why should we care about not sinning? Um, especially as we consider how amazing the gospel of grace is or how amazing the grace of the gospel is. And uh, so to do that, I wanna just take one quick moment to think about how amazing the gospel is. Because by the time you get to Romans 6, 
Paul has unpacked the gospel. He's told us this amazingly good news about Jesus. Uh, he's told us the amazingly good news about the, the grace of God, that Christ has come. He died, you know, suffered, died, laid down his life, was resurrected, and that by grace, grace means a free gift that is undeserved, by grace, you and I now partake in God's righteousness. So now, by grace, you and I get invited into the kingdom. And this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, is as Paul says in Romans 5, we are no longer under the law. We're no longer under this kind of transactional way of righteousness, which is like, if I do good, I'm a good person. If I do bad, I'm a bad person. If I do good, God will love me. If I do bad, God will hate me. This kind of like transactional way that we see our lives so often. Paul says we're no longer seen like that. We don't live under this transactional understanding of, of life because Christ has died for us while we were still sinners. He died for us while we were in our worst state. He died for us while we could not do enough to receive God's grace. Christ has done the work so that we are seen as righteousness, not because of anything you will do or I will do, but because of what Jesus has done. This is good news. It's really good news. Um, because probably all of us, to some degree or another, carry some residual level of guilt about some of the things that, that we've done. And some of us, if we have to be honest with each other, probably don't think of ourselves as great as the view that we try and portray to the world. Um, it, I think it was Spurgeon who said this. He said, if people could just see my thoughts, they would think of myself as a far more terrible person than they could ever dream me to be. And I think that's probably true of all of us. Imagine right now on these screens, uh, would go through each person here and then on the screens would be your thoughts. You would die a million deaths. I would die a million deaths. I would be gone. You're running. You're out that door. You don't want to see anyone ever again. I mean, if if every one of your thoughts, every kind of reaction you've had to every person, your darkest moments were portrayed on the screen, there would be a reality of us saying, Yo, we are nowhere near as good as the image we try and portray. Um, and the gospel is the good news that despite ourselves, despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite all of that, Christ in his grace and his love laid down his life for you and I, died for you and I, so that we can be received by God, not because of what we've done, because there's nothing that we can do that will be good enough to be received from God, but that we could be received by God into his kingdom because of what he has done. That is good news. Tim Keller says this, he says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Now this leads to Paul asking this question 
that he asked twice in Romans 6, but that we see very clearly in Romans 6 verse 1, where he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Like, if the gospel is that good, shall we just live however we want? Shall we just go on sinning? Like, if we are saved, not because of anything that we do, but because of what Christ has done, does it even matter how we live? That is the question. And it's a good question because asking that question actually reflects something of our understanding of the magnitude of God's grace. It's a good question to ask at some point, to go, wow, God's grace is so amazing. Does that mean I should just go on doing whatever I want? I think that's a great question. It's far better than us being like this. I believe the gospel, but I need to come to church every Sunday. You know, if I don't come to church, then, you know, I'm just not a very good Christian. You know, it's far better having this understanding that the grace of God is just so unbelievable, mind-blowing, that we think, yo, it's mind-blowing. I can go and do whatever I want. I should just go, can I go and live a wild life? And this is a question that Paul gets Posed, that he is asked, um, and he is going to attempt to answer um, why we should care about holiness. If we are in the gospel, why should we care about holiness? Why should we care about how we live? Why should you and I care about our actions and our thoughts and our motivations if God is going to save us, not based on any of that. Why should we care? And probably there's a whole bunch of answers that would spring to our mind. We wanna be grateful. You know, many different things that may pop into your head of why you should care. Or maybe some things pop into your head and you're just like, I don't care. And then hopefully this will help us all Uh, today. But why should we care? Why should you and I care? Today, why should we walk away from Sunday thinking about how we live our lives? Why should we care about our attitudes and our actions in this coming week and for the rest of our lives? And the question is answered by a massive theological truth called union with Christ. That is how Paul is going to attempt to answer this question by pointing them to the theological truth that our salvation comes with our union with Christ, which is really, really, really significant. Um, So can we get into it? So if you are, if you want to do homework, I know most people, some people love homework, some people hate homework, and you're thinking, what on earth, I came to church on Sunday and the pastor's giving us homework, this is ridiculous, not coming back. Um, But if you're the kind of person that likes to do some homework, Do yourself a favor and go and read Ephesians, 
this week. And when you read Ephesians, underline or make a note of or however it is that you like to go through the Bible, but underline or make a note of, of how many times Paul uses this phrase, in Christ. Um, and, then, and then once you've gone through Ephesians and all of a sudden you look at that and you're like, wow, that is a lot. Then go on to Galatians and then Romans and then if you want to jump into Colossians as well and just look how many times Paul uses this phrase or united with Christ or um, you know, in Galatians 2 verse 20, he uses that famous phrase, for I have been crucified with Christ. Um, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Uh, the, you know, if you go and look with Christ, in Christ, united with Christ, go and underline those phrases and see how many times they pop up. It's quite an enlightening um, exercise because as you do it, you realize how big an idea this is in Paul's mind as he is trying to unpack and explain the gospel of Christ to different groups of believers. As he's trying to tell people, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean we go to church on Sunday? Does it mean, you know, we try and be good people? Does it mean that we break bread every now and then doesn't mean that we have coffee on a Sunday and we enjoy that and free cappuccinos and that's why we come. Like, does it mean this or, and then Paul's gonna unpack of how in Christ, union with Christ is central to our understanding of the gospel. Okay, so Romans 6 Paul wants us to understand that we are united with Christ. And he says this, as you, you read through Romans 6, he says, he says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So the way we often think about Christianity, and this is really important, is the way that we often think about Christianity is we think of it in a transactional sense. What I mean by that is we think of it like this. Jesus forgave my sins. He did it from afar on the cross. He forgave my sins, and I am forgiven. This transaction's taken place, and then I carry on living my life, and one day, Jesus will welcome me into heaven, and, and we will be in heaven, and then you hear everyone talk about things like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like in heaven. You know, are we going to have bacon and egg rolls in heaven? I really hope we have bacon and egg rolls, because I love bacon and egg rolls. And then like, what about pizza? Oh, I hope it's pizza, but it must be wood-fired pizza. I don't want debonairs, you know. And, and then people, 
have all these things of like, what's heaven like? Are we going to play sport? Am I going to know my neighbor? I hope my neighbor's not in heaven because I don't really like that neighbor. And we go through like all these kind of things of like, what is heaven going to be like? And we're like, oh, I want to make it into heaven because the other place, well, the other place is hot, but it's like hotter than Durban hot and there's no air con and it's very uncomfortable. And, um, and, and so we, we think of this as kind of like a transaction thing. Jesus died. And when he died, he dished out forgiveness to all of us um, and uh, to all who are believers. And, and then we get, because of that, we get to go to heaven, which means we go to the good place, which means we go to the place, where, the good place. If you've watched the series, it's the bad place. <laughs> no, no. But we go, we go to heaven and um, we go to this place that we just imagine has all the stuff that we love. It's very kind of transactional. But what Paul is trying to highlight is that the way salvation happens for us is less like a transaction and more like a marriage. It's less like a transaction and more like a marriage because it is more like a union, that we are saved not just because Jesus has forgiven us, but we are saved because by the Holy Spirit, we have been united with Christ. We are not saved just because Jesus says, hey, Eugene, you're forgiven. Here's a ticket to heaven. We're like, woohoo. It's great. We're saved because we have become united with Jesus. We've like, he, by the Holy Spirit, he brings us onto his team in one sense. We are united with him in like a picture, like marriage. We are united with him. And what does Paul say here? We have been united with him in his death. Paul in Romans tries to unpack this. He is trying to tell us that not only has Jesus died, but by faith we get united with Christ so that Christ's death is our death. That it is as if we died with him. Paul is saying this is why you and I are set free from sin. We're not just set free because Christ has broken the power of sin, which he has, but we are set free because we ourselves have died with Christ. We have been united with Christ in his death. And that we receive power, not just because Christ is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the all-powerful one, but because we have been united with Christ in his resurrection. Which means that as Christ died, it's as if we died. And as Christ resurrected, it's as if we resurrected with him. That as Christ died to sin, so we too have died to sin in him. And as Christ rose again with power, so too we have risen. We live in new life because of our union with Christ. It is less about a transaction that is impersonal 
and more about a union that we find ourselves in Christ's story, united with his actions. We are united in his death. Paul, when he talks about himself, and you can read it, you, I mean, you read Luke talk about it a bit in Acts, and you read Paul talk about it in Corinthians, but Paul doesn't talk about himself as going to die. He talks about the disciples as falling asleep. Like, why does he talk about the disciples falling asleep? Because he believes this, that they have already died with Christ. And what is awaiting for them is not death, but resurrection life. That as they die, it's as if they're just sleeping because Christ is going to, at the end of the age, resurrect you and I. We are united with Christ in his actions, in the act of the death and his resurrection. Breaking of bread is, in one sense, the reminder that we are united with him. We eat, we partake in it. It's, it's not a distant transaction. It's not just a judge standing on, a, on his thing, whatever that whatever a judge is on, you know, his place with his gavel. It's not just a judge with his gavel going, oh, Jesus died for you, dunk, forgiven, going to heaven, uh, you know, passing a judgment. It's we are partaking with Christ in his death. It's we are united with him. There is a union, there is an intimacy, there is a power in understanding that our salvation is not distantly transactional, but intimately union. You and I are united with Christ. And Paul talks about two of these in Romans 6. He says we are united with him in his death. And what that means is that there is a change of allegiance. Paul says, you have died with Christ to sin so that the, your body, which was ruled by sin, um, Jesus said in uh, John 8, he says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. What does that mean? It means sin is like a ruler a taskmaster, uh, uh, a power over our lives. I don't know if you've uh, noticed this, but like tell a two-year-old, I mean, they're a two-year-old, what do they know about the world? Tell a two-year-old not to do something, what are they gonna do? Don't press that button. You know, don't take the ice cream. Like they're going straight for that ice cream. No one has to tell them to be naughty, they just are naughty. Or I don't know if you've noticed this with yourself. You go to church one Sunday and you think, oh, you know what? I'm just not going to do that thing anymore. Um, or may, maybe you've lived your life with this. You just, you have this idea. You're just like, I'm just going to stop doing that thing. 
And then what happens? Three days later, there you are. I'm going to stop thinking those thoughts. I'm going to stop doing that thing. I'm going to stop being horrible to that person. You know, my relationship with my parents. So like, I'm just going to sort that out. I know I've had a bad attitude with them. Like today, no longer. There you are having dinner with your parents. Boom, comes out again. Like you're like, ah, why is it always there? It's like sin. We are enslaved in many ways. It means sin is our Master, we don't like to think of it that way, but sin is this master that is over us. And we just can't seem to get out of. And yet Paul says, he says this, he says we need to rethink this because as Christ died and we are united in his death, The power of that slave master is no more. Why? The slave master's debt has been paid. It's Christ has freed us from his hold. The the payment to get rid of the slave master was death. And we've been united with Christ. We've died with him. So the due to sin is no longer there. Sin has no more mastery over you and I. We have a new allegiance. Jesus in his death and us being united with him in his death has changed who is an authority over our lives. Sin and death no longer reigns, but Christ reigns supreme we find ourselves having a new allegiance as we're united with Christ. And when we're united within his resurrection, there is a change of power. Because Paul says in in Romans 6 that we've been crucified with Christ, that the the power of sin and the hold that it has um, in our lives has been broken, but we now have a new power to live in freedom because we have been united with Christ in his resurrection. And so the resurrection power of Christ now becomes our power to live out a righteous life. Why should we desire to live in holiness? Why should we do that if the grace is so amazing? If God forgives us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our sin, why should we no longer keep on sinning? And Paul tries to help us to understand this by reminding us that the grace in which we have received is not just a judgment transaction that says you go free, but it is a union relationship in which our life has been freed from an evil taskmaster and been brought into the glorious kingdom of God. And we are united with him
And it is our united, the union with Christ that should now be the motivation for a righteous life. I want to live, as Paul says, a slave to righteousness, he says in verse 90. I want to live as a slave, as a, someone who is indebted and bound to righteousness, leading to holiness because I am in Christ. I am united with him. And it is this union with him that stirs and motivates and empowers me to go and live differently. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Just to close, Paul uses this phrase in verse 11. He says, count yourselves. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves. And the phrase can mean consider yourselves. It's, it's, a, it's a mental um, action in in many ways. It's use your mind to bring into your own mind the reality of what God has done in Christ Jesus. He's saying, how do we go about and live a life of holiness? And we do it by starting to change the way that we think about the gospel. And we do it by starting to Count yourselves, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, remind yourselves that you are dead to sin because you are united with Christ. That as Christ died on the cross, it's as if you died on the cross. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying this, that we need to remind ourselves of our union with Christ, ongoingly, continually, regularly, reminding ourselves that we are in this gospel, that we are in this story, we are in God's story because we have been united with Christ. And that as we live, it's to remind ourselves this, to remind ourselves that you have died to sin. Because Christ died on the cross. And you live to God because Christ was resurrected in eternal life. And then what does he say? As you consider this, as you remind yourselves of this, Paul unpacks the practicality of living this life. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your body. Why should you deal with sin? Why should you make an effort to live a holy life? 
And Paul is saying this, because you are united with Christ, because we have been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, we should remind ourselves of this and then no longer live to the slave master that is sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not give it a foothold. Do not give it leeway. Do not allow sin as the evil taskmaster to have his way any longer in your life. Do not allow it to be a master, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life in him. In theology, we talk about three, the three stages of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is this, it's the point where we are brought into Christ. It's that point where you and I are no longer seen as sinners, but as saints. It's that point where we are seen as righteous because of Christ. It's a moment, instantaneous. The moment we are saved, the moment we come to believe in Christ, we are united with him, and which means we are justified, which means uh, we are seen as Christ. Sanctification is the process of us becoming like Christ. So we, we've said this, you know, that the vision of Harbor City is to know Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to make Jesus known. Sanctification is that part of becoming like Jesus. That God, by the Holy Spirit, is at work in your life to do what? Not to make you rich, but to make you like Jesus. That's the aim of sanctification, that God is at work in us to make us become like Christ. And glorification is the moment when we are with Christ in all of eternity, when we will be resurrected from the dead to live with Christ. In justification, we are seen as if we have no sin. In, in sanctification, we, are, we receive the power to break the hold of sin. And in glorification, we live a life without sin as, as Christ will remove sin from the world. But sanctification is the hardest part in this process. And you know why it's hard? Because we know this. We're like, God, you've forgiven me. And then you wake up and you still struggle with sin. That's why becoming like Christ is the hardest part is you wake up and you go, Jesus, I know you've forgiven me. And you're like, today's gonna be a good day. You prayed, you read the scriptures, someone cuts you off in the traffic. And then like the stuff that comes out is, is just not what happened in your quiet time in the morning or on the Sunday and you're like, oh, that was hard, you know? And, it, and you know, whatever it is, your boss moans at you. You're, uh, you know, you have a bad day at work. You struggle with whatever it is. But sanctification is the hard part because you know that you have received God's grace. 
and you know you want to be righteous, but then day by day you find yourself dealing with things that you wished were already gone. The gospel doesn't tell us that when we are united with Christ and the power of sin is broken, doesn't tell us that you and I will now be sinless from that point. That is not what the gospel says. In fact, as, as John says, you know, the person who says they are without sin is a liar. You know, don't believe them. If anyone gets up one day and says, hey, I've done this, I've mastered the Christian life, I have no sin, that person is lying. You know, that's not what the gospel tells us. But what the gospel tells us is that the allegiance has changed. And so sanctification is the day-by-day process over a long period of time as the Holy Spirit is at work in us of changing our allegiance from sin as a master to Christ as our master. Changing our allegiance from living a life continually filled with selfishness and selfish desires and sinful way of living in which we've served ourselves and a licentious living or whatever it may be as the master of our lives to day by day through the power of Christ serving him as he changes us to become more and more like Christ. You and I are united with Christ. It is the good news of the gospel. It is the good news of the gospel for you and I. That it's not just a transaction. The gavel has been hit. You are no longer seen as sinful. It is the intimate relationship between God and his people as by his Holy Spirit, he unites your life with the life of Christ. So as God looks upon his people, he looks at the union and sees Christ. And that is the good news for you now. Can I pray? Lord, I pray for us this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the incredible gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace, so undeserved. Think of Romans 5, who says, you know, someone may die for a righteous man. Maybe a few more would die for a good man. But you, Christ, died for us while we were still sinners. I thank you, Lord, that the gospel is so unbelievable that while we are completely undeserving, you break into our worlds and you save us. A salvation that is so free, so generous, so gracious that we ourselves sometimes wonder whether we can just do whatever we want. But I pray, Lord, that you would day by day, week by week, month by month, open up our eyes to the beauty of a life united with you.
that we are united with Christ. Intimately connected with you and your story. That you, Holy Spirit, don't just open up our eyes, but you dwell within us. So that just as Christ died to sin, so we too have died. And just as Christ rose in eternal, new, powerful life, so we too rise with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that can live out your kingdom and your gospel by living out a life that is in union with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you all. I hope you have a really good Sunday.